You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. I host the show each week, and as always, we're going to take a look at the political system and see what's going on and try and get some details and information about uh, what's happening and how it's going to affect us. So, as always, I welcome you to the show this week. Uh, we are actually 31 days into the Biden administration, and uh, progress is being made on many fronts. We're going to touch on one of those in a moment. But as always, we start off with our update on where we stand with the coronavirus. Uh, as of this week, or as of the start of this week, uh, we have uh, 28.1 million cases uh, that have been recorded, and we're at 498,000 plus uh, deaths that have been recorded due to COVID-19. It is likely that in, within the next day or two, we are going to cross that 500,000 uh, death barrier, uh, which is you know, quite a milestone. Uh, not a great or a good milestone by any means, but uh, we have seen the progression over the course of the, of the year, and it continues. Uh, we also have recorded some 64.2 million vaccinations. Uh, that includes both first-time and second doses. Uh, didn't have an accurate breakdown of which is which, uh, primarily because state reporting on vaccinations is still somewhat sketchy. Uh, but on the positive side, uh, what we are seeing, and if you go to the uh, CDC website and uh, search for covidtracking.com, uh, you can see graphs of the data. And some interesting things that we're noticing here is that across new cases, hospitalizations, and new uh, deaths from COVID-19, all three indices uh, are actually you know, tailing down substantially uh, from peaks that recorded uh, early in January. For example, uh, around the beginning of the year, we had uh, cases reported um, uh, for, say, on January 8th, for example, 295,121 new cases were reported, where if we look a little bit more than one month later, we are at 74,600 new cases reported. So, you know, clearly a, a drop of about three quarters of new cases being reported within the span of just about a month. Uh, hospitalizations, likewise, uh, went from 131,000 uh, January 10th down to uh, currently they are at 59,800 as of the 19th of February. And with deaths, we went from our peak of uh, 4,409 deaths a month ago, in fact, on Inauguration Day, and uh, you know, today's total is 2,074 new deaths. So the number of people dying from the disease has fallen by half. The number of people uh, that have been hospitalized has fallen by about 70%. And the number of new cases has fallen by roughly uh, 75%. So we're seeing progress being made. Uh, you know, in combination with, you know, the, the population for the most part following the advice of doctors and the, medic the medical community and scientists and wearing the masks and socially distancing and the, the hygiene steps that they have recommended that we take in combination with the number of vaccinations that are occurring across the country, we are starting to see or we are seeing a, a continuing trend uh, downward across all three of these major indices. And that's really, really good news. It's really a positive thing. and We should uh, celebrate that. However, we should not let that 
lull us into a false sense of security and you know think that we can ease up on mask wearing ease up on the other steps uh, all of the experts you know from dr fauci on down are saying that it is likely that we will be wearing masks and and doing the primary you know self-protection methods uh, well through this year uh, even as the number and impacts of covid uh, continue hopefully uh, to trend down and you know make it something that becomes you know kind of the background uh, of things much like you know other illnesses such as the flu which is something that we go through every year and you know while there are still impacts while there are still you know 40 or 50,000 people a year that die from the flu it is really part of normal routine to you know, get your flu shots when flu season's approaching and so on and so forth. Hopefully, as we continue these downward trends, we will see you know, similar things occur. Uh, some things to note uh, as we look at you know, one month into the Biden administration is that the number of vaccines uh, issued daily has more than doubled uh, what it was uh, in in January and you know late December, uh, and you know the Biden administration has more than doubled what the previous administration was accomplishing with immunizations for COVID uh, toward the end of its its term in office. So you know that again is really good news, and you know the key is that we just need to keep up the pressure, keep doing what we're doing, and continue to fight against this disease, to keep ourselves, our families, our community, and our country safe. So hopefully, you know, when we look at this again in a few months, we'll see an even lower set of numbers and, you know, uh, even higher numbers of people who have been immunized and, you know, more return to normal. They've already, you know, begun and, and our ongoing discussions about strategies to get schools reopened and looking at methods that we can use to reopen businesses and, and try and get the economy um, back running on a, on a better level than it is right now. Uh, but, you know, we, we can't be delusioned by, you know, what we see with the numbers to think that everything is going to return to pre-pandemic normal levels uh, anytime soon. It is going to take us some time to get there. We need to understand that. We need to you know, uh, weave it into our daily thinking. We need to make sure that we understand and have patience and continue to have you know, the hope and the courage to do what we need to do in order to keep ourselves, our loved ones, and everyone around us safe. So hopefully we'll continue to see these trends, you know, and things will will start to slowly return to some levels of activity. Uh, you know, it, the big one, of course, that everybody is talking about is getting the kids back in school. And in some communities that is already underway with you know, a lot of new safeguards in place. Other communities are working their way through the protocols and putting in place the things that need to be there, you know, such as adequate ventilation, adequate distancing, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we, while I won't say we have turned a corner, I will say that the, the trajectory and the path has turned toward a more positive level, and that's encouraging. We should be encouraged by that, but let's all just make sure that we maintain our vigilance and keep doing what we need to do. So that's great news. Um, I'm pleased and happy to report it. And hopefully we'll continue to see that trend move forward and the numbers get lower and lower and lower. All right. And speaking of the Biden administration and steps and actions that they are taking, uh, the uh, relief plan that President Biden uh, ran on and, and promised in his campaign and, and said that he would get moving in his first 100 days. Uh, that has been rolled out, that has uh, gone through and been passed by the House, and a version of it 
has been passed by the Senate and it is now working its way through conference committees to try and iron out the differences. And while it, it does do a lot of what uh, Joe Biden promised during his campaign for all the obvious political reasons, uh, there are some areas that uh, have not fully measured up to what was promised. Uh, you know, for example, uh, there were you know commitments made on getting an additional uh, stimulus payment to individuals for two thousand uh, dollars. That had to be compromised down to fourteen hundred, taking into account that there was a six hundred dollar stimulus package moved out under the prior administration. So the logic and thinking is that they added 1400 to it in order to you know, bring it up to the $2,000 limit as uh, suggested. On the plus side of that, though, uh, there are some improvements on what was proposed initially in terms of uh, benefits to dependents and uh, other, other elements of it. Uh, there are some income limits that have been added in that weren't in the original proposals. Uh, and again, these are you know, part of the give and take that goes on in you know, debating a bill as it passes through the House and the Senate, making its way up to the president for signature. Uh, these compromises were not unexpected. The amount and details are what are being worked out in conference committee. But we knew that, you know, some change was likely to happen in the Biden proposal uh, simply because, you know, the, of the, the nature of, of politics, the nature of the House and the Senate. Uh, you know, the Senate is, you know, a 50-50 uh, split between Democrats and Republicans. And while the Democrats do have the majority and ability to go ahead and move bills forward without Republican support, Clearly, it is advantageous and better for all concerned if bills can be moved through in a bipartisan fashion. And so, you know, one month in, we're starting to see some of those frameworks shape up. We're starting to see more and more conversations between the parties on how they can achieve, you know, the, the agenda items in a bipartisan fashion, uh, which means that they will be much more accepted by a broader segment of the American population. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep abreast of all of those. We'll keep you updated on what happens with the, the stimulus package, uh, I believe as Biden calls it, the American Rescue Package, and some other uh, things that the Biden administration is bringing to the floor of the House and the floor of the Senate uh, for debate and discussion and for bills. Uh, they are discussions on some infrastructure projects which are believed to have uh, stronger bipartisan support and should be able to be passed through both houses with a little bit more ease than what we've seen on the stimulus package uh, as you know, anyone and everyone can agree that there are infrastructure projects that need to happen that are desperately needed in both Republican and Democrat areas of the country. So it's believed that these bills will help pave the way for more bipartisan actions uh, out of the House and particularly out of the Senate. Again, we'll see what transpires and we'll bring it to you as soon as we find out about it. In other political news, uh, just recently, uh, an article that came out on February 28th, I'm sorry, February 18th, um, we haven't gotten to the 28th yet, um, talks about the Democrats uh, proposed a, a bill that would raise $1.2 trillion in taxes without uh, having an actual tax increase. And their mechanism for this, as proposed by Representative Ro Khanna, Democrat of California, uh, he's proposing that the IRS be uh, directed and, and laws be strengthened to, to uh, provide more stringent audits on the wealthiest uh, people in the country. And, you know, that would uh, return about 1.2 trillion dollars to the economy 
by making sure that those that are at the, the wealthiest levels would see an increase in the number and or percentage of audits of tax returns uh, based on a, a sliding scale on income. This is similar to a bill that had been proposed by Senator Elizabeth Warren, but is a lot less controversial uh, in that it uh, is a, a, a more uh, equitable approach to how it happens with, with varying levels. Let's go into the article a little bit, and uh, I'll give you some of the details on it. So the um, wealth taxes, according to the article, uh, wealth taxes have been the subject of more, much controversy, conversation since the coronavirus pandemic began in 2020. Uh, but the questions raised is, what if you could raise more money from the wealthy by just enforcing existing taxes? Uh, the, the idea is that the key of the bill sponsored by, as I said, Representative Ro Khanna of California. Uh, Khanna's bill, which is called the Stop, Corpora Stop Corporations and Higher Earners from Avoiding Taxes and Enforce Rules Strictly, a.k.a. the Cheaters Act, uh, would require the IRS to annually audit 95% of companies with at least $20 billion in assets, along with 50% of individuals with an income of at least $10 million. That would be a big change from 2018, when only 0.03% of returns from individuals making over $10 million were examined, according to the IRS. With more aggressive methods proposed under the bill, the government could raise an additional $1.2 trillion in tax revenue over the next decade, according to what the bill text says. According to Representative Kama, and, and I quote, uh, Wall Street has been able to act like high-rolling gamblers with almost zero, zero consequences for far too long, Kama said in a statement. Right now, the wealthiest 1% are responsible for roughly 70% of the tax gap, the difference between taxes owed and taxes paid. Uh, it's time, according, it's time for every American to pay their fair share. Again, that's a quote from uh, Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, other elements of the bill, uh, which would give the IRS an additional $100 billion uh, to, to pay for the collection uh, process over the 10 years uh, using $10 billion of the allocated funding to upgrade IRS technology, requiring additional reporting for individuals above, with incomes above 400000 that include money from sources not previously disclosed to the IRS, and having the IRS regularly report to Congress on its auditing progress, uh, increasing penalties on millionaires who put false information on their tax returns. Kana's bill could prove less controversial than proposals from other Democratic lawmakers to increase tax revenues from the ultra-wealthy, such as Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, two-cent wealth tax, uh, which proposes a 2% tax on every dollar for families with a net worth more than $50 million. So. Uh, you know, this, this bill has uh, the backing from a 2020 study by the University of Pennsylvania professor Natasha Siren, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, and former IRS Commissioner Charles Rosati, which said that the government misses out on billions of dollars in tax revenues from taxes that are owed but not paid. Uh, the, and, and again, quoting uh, the study, the failure of minority of taxpayers to pay what they owe imposes significant burdens on those who are fully compliant. So, you know, this is an interesting proposal in that, you know, as I, as I said at the top, uh, it, it uh, expands the percentages of returns from, you know, high, high net wealth corporations and high net wealth uh, individuals uh, to bring them in into a, a more fair representation of you know paying their fair share of taxes. Now you know obviously you know the the wealthy have a laundry list of ways in which they can reduce the amount of tax they owe. However, with increased scrutiny, some of these methods, which may be somewhat questionable, 
uh, would come under IRS scrutiny and perhaps would lead to a tightening of the rules and making them uh, a lot more uh, stringent in their enforcement. As I said, we will keep an eye on this bill and track its progress and, and the discussions about it. Uh, it's clear that, you know, obviously uh, the, the wealthy and, and the large companies are going to have something to say about this. So it'll be interesting to see what the comments are as this bill, you know, comes to the floor and, and begins its process of debate uh, and, and so forth coming out of the House. As I said, we'll keep you informed and let you know what transpires. All right, uh, let's take a break here and we uh, will play this public service announcement. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some other uh, political news going on, including, you know, what the heck is Donald Trump up to these days? You remember him? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about him on the, in the uh, third segment of the show. So you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll be right back after this break. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. And welcome back. Uh, that public service announcement brought to you by your friends here at Fired Up Radio and here at WJMSRadio.com. So, getting back into what's been going on in news, uh, have you heard about Senator Ted Cruz? Uh, apparently, uh, the good senator decided to take a trip down to Cancun, Mexico, uh, with his wife, daughters, and uh, some of their friends uh, in the midst of his constituents in Texas suffering through uh, a terrible uh, cold spell and uh, power blackouts and water shutoffs and, and all of that, uh, really, really some bad optics on the, the part of Senator Cruz. Uh, according to uh, articles uh, from CNN and other sources, um, Senator Ted Cruz flew to Cancun amid Texas's deep freeze. Uh, now, the senator has said that his trip down to the vacation spot uh, was a mistake and that in hindsight, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, initially, he you know, tried to suggest that he was being a good father, that his daughters had come to him and uh, said that they wanted to get away from you know Texas with with the freezing and all of that their house was freezing and you know all of these problems so they decided to do a trip down to Cancun and uh, according to a tweet from Senator Cruz's wife um, she talked about asking uh, friends in a group chat Anyone that can or wants to leave for the week, uh, the, the, time, the New York Times reported this. Uh, we may go to Cancun, she said, according to the media organization, referencing a direct flight and hotels with capacity seriously. And that's a, a quote from her tweet. Um, the senator flew down with them and uh, apparently 
from what news reports are saying, he uh, initially was trying to do it kind of under the radar. Uh, but, you know, obviously you're a United States senator. You can't just, you know, pick up and hop a flight anywhere. Uh, I, you know, as, as the senator said, according to the articles, and quote, I started having second thoughts almost the moment I sat down on the plane because on the one hand, all of us who are parents have a responsibility to take care of our kids, to take care of our family. That's something Texans have been doing across the state, said Cruz, who had said in an earlier statement that he flew to Mexico because his daughters had asked to take a trip and he was trying to be a, quote, good dad, close quote. Uh, but he continues to say, quote, I also have a responsibility that I take very seriously for the state of Texas, and frankly, leaving when so many Texans were hurting didn't feel right, so I changed my return flight and flew back on the first available flight I could take, Cruz continued. Um, with protesters audible outside his home, according to the article, Cruz says he understands the anger many Texans feel toward his decision. Uh, of course, as he, he's quoted, of course I understand why people are upset. Listen, we're in a strange time where Twitter's been going crazy and the media is going crazy and there's a lot of venom and vitriol that I think is unfortunate, frankly, on both sides, Cruz said. I think everyone ought to treat each other with respect and decency and try to understand each other more particularly at a time of crisis, close quote. See, uh, Cruz had confirmed the trip in a statement to CNN earlier in the day saying he flew down for a night because his daughters asked to take a trip with friends. With school canceled for the week, our girls asked to take a trip with friends. Wanting to be a good dad, I flew down with them last night and am flying back this afternoon, he said in the statement. He continues, my staff and I are in constant communication with state and local leaders to get to the bottom of what happened in Texas. We want our power back, our water on, and our homes warm. My team and I will continue using all our resources to keep Texans informed and safe. And that was a direct quote, uh, according to the article. Uh, his wife was saying how that their house was freezing, she said, uh, according to the Times, and suggested a trip lasting until Sunday. They had stayed at the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun many times, she said, highlighting the hotel's strong security and rate that week, the Times reported. Uh, Cruz flew back on Thursday uh, morning and returned back through George Bush International Airport later on Thursday, according to a source that was on the flight with him. So, you know, I, I, as a parent, as a father, I get it. But, you know, he is a United States senator whose state is in the midst of a devastating uh, weather event that has caused uh, at least uh, 16 to 20 people to die, uh, as well as, you know, forced many people to seek alternatives uh, for, for staying warm and having to melt and boil snow for water. Uh, it, it's just been a crazy time down in Texas. I, I have friends down there, and, you know, some of them have have reported back to me um, that areas around them have had no power for you know three four and five days have had no water for three days uh, didn't get much warning the the national media didn't give uh, much heads up to it although many of the local papers were on top of the situation and giving advice and suggestions and strategies for people to take uh, but, you know, th there have been just some tragic stories that have come out of Texas, uh, in including one that I heard where, you know, a, an elderly gentleman uh, was in his house and the house was 19 degrees and he was found dead, uh, you know, huddled in a chair in, in the lower level of his house. Um, so, you know, it, it, the, the optics of that uh, with Senator Cruz uh, flying off to sunny and warm Mexico just didn't play well, both with the people of Texas, uh, many of whom, including political figures, are uh, calling for him to resign, uh, are calling for other sanctions.
but also nationally, it just was not viewed very, very well. So, you know, I, I, as I said, I get it, you know, uh, as a father, um, you know, I, I, I would look out strongly for my children. However, you know, the, the reality is that his wife was traveling with them, so it's not like they were going down alone. Uh, and, you know, it, it is a, a place that they've been before, they're familiar with, and so forth. Um, you know, and, and just, he just really clearly did not make a good decision. Uh, you know, he was on the radio uh, this past Monday and told people to stay home and not to risk it. Keep your family safe and just stay home and hug your kids. You know, and the article concludes with, as an official elected to federal office, Cruz doesn't have an on-the-ground role in the response to the storm, but natural disasters are often a time in which constituents often reach out to their elected officials for help and access to resources. Uh, you know, it should be noted that President Biden has declared a state of emergency and has placed federal resources uh, in, in the, the communication with the leadership in Texas. Uh, governor Abbott said Wednesday afternoon that he spoke with both the lieutenant governor and the state speaker and that an investigation of the energy management company in Texas called ERCOT uh, would, would begin next week. Um, Texas, unlike many states in the country, has an independent power grid in that they are not tied to other states so that in the case of you know major outages uh, electricity can be transferred from one state to another uh, they chose to go this route many years ago in order to avoid federal regulations and to keep the cost of their electricity down but you know it should be noted and it's important to note that you know, while winter storms of this magnitude are rare in Texas, they are not, uh, you know, never happen events. Uh, there, there was a similar event a few years ago, and the electric company ERCOT did very little to weatherize their power stations and their coal and gas facilities in order to withstand you know, extreme cold temperatures. Uh, so, you know, in fact, early on, uh, a lot of, of news stories came out of Texas where blame was being laid on the fact that Texas has a growing number of windmills, which, you know, froze during the, the ice storm and, and the cold weather. And that, you know, created or exacerbated the power situation in Texas. Truth be told, uh, Texas gets a little bit less than 10% of its energy from wind. And the bulk of its energy still comes from gas-fired plants, oil-fired plants, and coal-fired plants, which, as I said, were not weatherized and were very susceptible to the elements. So, you know, investigations will roll on. You know, more facts will come out. We'll let you know what happens and keep you informed of what's going on. But uh, hopefully Senator Cruz has, has learned a valuable lesson here that while it's important to you know, protect your family, uh, sometimes the way you do that may not have the best optic outcome. So just saying. Um, all right, uh, let's pause here for a little music interlude and then we'll come back and pick up our last two stories of the hour. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. We'll be right back. We get down to the beat, y'all. We get down, down to the beat, y'all. We get down to the beat, y'all. It's like we're not going anywhere. Maybe it's because it's Losing 
Okay, and we're back. Um, we're going to move to another part of the country and pick up on some, some news uh, that we talked about or situations that we talked about extensively through the course of the elections in 2020. And this story comes out of Georgia. Uh, I found this in Mother Jones online, and you can go there and check it out. Um, the headline reads, and this came out on February 19th, uh, Georgia Republicans are doubling down on racist voter suppression. Uh, the subline is, after black voters turned out in record numbers, the GOP wants to make it harder to vote. Surprise, surprise, said no one. Uh, after Donald Trump, and reading from the article, after Donald Trump failed to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia, Republicans in the state legislature are doing everything they can to make it more difficult for Democrats to win the next one. On Thursday, with almost no public notice, Georgia House Republicans introduced a 48-page bill to significantly change voting procedures in the state in a way that particularly targets black voters in the Atlanta metro area. This followed a similar move uh, by the state Senate earlier in the week. The House bill, sponsored by Republican State, Senate, uh, Republican State Rep. Barry Fleming, chair of a newly created Special Committee on Election Integrity, limits the weekend early voting period to only one Saturday before the election. Fleming claimed that the provision will provide uniformity in voting hours across the state. But in practice, it will take away voting opportunities for large, heavily Democratic counties in Atlanta, like DeKalb and Fulton. It specifically eliminates early voting on Sundays, when black churches traditionally hold souls to the polls get out the vote drives. The January 5 runoffs were the first time that Democrats outnumbered the Republicans during in-person early voting, and black voters constituted a third of early voters. In the November general election, black voters used early voting on weekends at a higher rate than whites in 43 of 50 of the state's largest counties. Black voters made up roughly 30% of Georgia's electorate, but comprised 36.7% of Sunday voters in 2020 and 36.4% of voters in early voting days Fleming wants to eliminate, according to, according to Fair Fight Action, a voting rights group founded by Stacey Adams. And quoting her, she was saying, this bill is Jim, I'm sorry, this bill is Jim Crow with a suit and tie said Awana De Dennis, executive director of Common Cause Georgia. When North Carolina Republicans eliminated Sunday voting in 2013 after the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals called it as close to a smoking gun as we are likely to see in modern times and struck it down for targeting black voters with almost surgical precision. Republican leaders in Georgia notably stood up to Trump when he sought to overturn the presidential election results in this state, with GOP Secretary of State Raffensperger defending the integrity of the system by holding three recounts that found no evidence of fraud. But that hasn't stopped Republicans in the legislature from introducing bill after bill to limit voting options after Georgia turned blue and black voters showed up in record numbers during the January runoff to elect two Democratic senators. The proposed reduction in early voting times in Georgia seems likely to make already long lines in the state worse. Voters in Atlanta waited up to 11 hours to vote during the November general election. During the June primary, Voters in predominantly white areas waited six minutes to vote, while voters in predominantly uh, areas where people of color lived waited 51 minutes to vote. Other provisions of the bill would add a voter ID requirement for mail-in ballots, giving voters less time to request mail-in ballots and election officials less time to send them out, throw, ba throw out ballots that are cast in the wrong precinct, and restrict the use of mail-in ballot drop boxes. The proposals would have devastating consequences on voting rights in Georgia, 
wrote a coalition of 28 voting rights groups led by Fair, a Fair Fight Action, and the people of Georgia have been blindsided by its release. Uh, Democrats were very angry that the House bill was released at 1.53 p.m. on a Thursday before a 3 p.m. hearing. None of the Democrats had anything to say about it, said uh, State Rep. Rhonda Burnow, a Democrat from South Atlanta. The people, people of color, didn't have any opportunity to review or give an opinion. So, you know, as, as you can see here, you know, the, the backlash of the 2020 election uh, clearly has started, and it's not just in Georgia. There have been uh, several other states across the country which have looked at their voting legislation, their, their rules for voting, and are, have proposed or are proposing uh, cuts and changes that will impact greatly the precincts where most of the voters are people of color. So there's, you know, as we've talked about on this show many times, um, the, the voter suppression actions being taken, particularly by Republicans, but not exclusively by them, by other groups as well, uh, clearly is an indication that there is a fear of the voting bloc for people of color and independent and other disenfranchised voters uh, to the Republican power base. So, you know, our, our action item here, our call to action here, is to uh, reach out, check the websites for your state legislatures, wherever you are in the country, and see if there are any bills pending that would impact voting rights. And if there are, you need to make sure that you read them, understand them, get educated about them, communicate what's going on to your circle of friends and to their circles of friends to make sure that uh, as much as possible, we exercise our right to you know, express our opposition to these restrictive rules. Uh, it, it's clear that the Republicans are pulling out, you know, if not all the stops, as many of them as they can find in order to regain both uh, local level offices lost uh, and federal offices lost as well. Uh, clearly, there is an effort in the Senate to do whatever is necessary to regain Republican control of the Senate uh, where the margin is, you know, basically one vote uh, between, you know, Democrat control and Republican control, as well as to continue their march to take over the House. So, you know, it, it's up to us to make sure that we are fully informed and, you know, fighting these efforts wherever we can. So the last item that I want to bring up and I mentioned it at the very top of the show, is you know, we're, we're now a month into the Biden administration, and you know, the, the question has almost become, you know, where is Donald Trump? Well, it appears that former President Trump is gearing up for war with his own party, and you know, he is looking to, uh, continue to gin up support on among his base, uh, but the, here he is targeting it toward uh, candidates or, or sitting uh, congressmen and senators who uh, voted against him in the second impeachment trial and who he views as generally were not loyal to him uh, in, in his administration. Um, so you know, of course, as the you know former president from the Republican Party, uh, audiences with Trump are are in great demand. Uh, you know, a, as it says here in the article that came out of Politico, uh, for weeks now, Trump has rejected meetings with everyone from former South Carolina governor and 2024 hopeful Nikki Haley to House and Senate GOP candidates vying for his ear preferring to spend his days leisurely calling friends, binging cable news, golfing with a rotating cast of partners, and basking in standing ovations whenever he arrives for dinner 
on Mar-a-Lago's outdoor plaza. One person close to the ex-president says he's become unreachable to anyone outside his limit, limited circle of loyal aides, longtime friends, and diehard political allies. Well, according to the article, that's about to change. Um, according to three people familiar with the planning, Trump will soon begin vetting candidates at Mar-a-Lago who are eager to fulfill his promise to exact revenge on incumbent Republicans who've scorned him and to ensure every open GOP seat in the 2022 midterms has a MAGA-approved contender vying for it. Uh, he's already received dozens of requests from prospective candidates seeking to introduce themselves and nab his endorsement, and formal meetings with them could begin as early as March. Now that Trump has survived his second Senate impeachment, he has shifted his focus to post-presidential activism, a venture mostly bankrolled by his new leadership pack, Save America, which had $31 million in its coffers at the start of this month. Earlier this week, Trump met with his former campaign manager, Brad Parscale, to discuss online fundraising components to support his efforts and how he can utilize social media despite his ban from popular websites like Twitter. Trump also met with House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, Republican of Louisiana, and his eldest son, Don Jr., earlier uh, last week. And uh, on Saturday, or actually on Saturday, just past, uh, he was expected to make an appearance at a fundraising dinner for Senator Mike Lee. Uh, he's also putting together a more formal schedule, schedule for candidates who want to come get his endorsement, said senior Trump advisor Jason Miller, noting that Trump's meetings so far have been limited to golf friends, Mar-a-Lago members, and friends with the ability to contact him themselves. So it appears that Donald Trump is going to take uh, something of an active role in the upcoming midterms in 2022 uh, with the goal of you know, regaining control uh, of the Senate and increasing their, their uh, impact in the House with the goal of taking over the House as well. And you know, that is going to make worse a situation we are seeing developing in the Republican Party where there are some very significant and substantial uh, cracks forming in the party between those who you know, were, were diehard loyal to Trump, you know, a.k.a. the MAGA crowd, and the more traditional Republicans who um, quietly relish the fact that Trump is no longer uh, the primary figure uh, of their party in the eyes of the media. So let, let's jump out of the article for a second. Uh, I want to in interject some thoughts I have. So uh, for my listeners out there who are Republican, let me ask you this. Uh, when Donald Trump was facing conviction uh, for the impeachment charge that was brought against him, uh, Republicans had a, a strategic decision to make. Do they you know, convict the the form, the now former the former president and then vote to preclude him from running for office again uh you know the risk there of course is you know incurring you know his wrath uh or do they acquit him and hopefully you know gain his favor in recognizing that you know they stood up and did not uh vote to convict him uh, and, you know, that was the course that they took. They acquitted him of the impeachment charge. But then the tactical mistake that, in my opinion, you know, many Republicans made was they turned around right after that and criticized him for his actions uh, leading up to the insurrection on January 6th. So any goodwill you may have garnered from the former president by acquitting him was lost in the the process of castigating him for his actions uh you know real or perceived leading up to the insurrection uh so you know basically you now have you know former president donald trump 
as a monster of your own creation in that, you know, he is now going to focus his attention, uh, number one, on those Republicans who actively voted to move the impeachment process forward, you know, in the House and in the Senate. And, you know, number two, on the, the general disloyalty you know, of, of some Republicans in criticizing him for his actions leading up to the insurrection. And the, the end result, you know, is that now he has turned his energy, you know, to not only attacking the Democrats, obviously, but also attacking what he perceives as uh, the disloyal Republican Party, which is primarily going to mostly, you know, enlarge and exacerbate this fracture that, that I mentioned and that we've, we're seeing happening in the Republican Party between, you know, the, the MAGA group and the traditional Republicans. So, uh, you know, in, in one sense, this really was kind of a no-win situation in that, you know, if you had convicted him and, and disqualified him, you know, he would be, you know, on the sidelines, you know, venting against uh, the Republican Party as well as the Democrats. Uh, but you're, you're still going to get some of that now because he still perceives that a significant number of Republicans voted against him uh, in the impeachment trial. And through your comments, you know, post impeachment trial, uh, you've you've shown him that you disapprove of what he did, and that has done nothing but you know piss him off. Uh, as the article continued, uh, in in you know in the statement, Trump vowed to recruit insurgent candidates who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first wherever he feels such challenges are necessary. The former president has already set his sights on ousting Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming, the number three House Republican, and Fred Upton of Michigan. Uh, if he foregoes retirement, both Cheney and Upton voted to impeach Trump following the January 6th riot on the U.S. Capitol. Representative Peter Major, a second Michigan congressman who voted for impeachment, already faces a primary challenger from an Afghanistan veteran and self-declared Trump supporter. Uh, Lindsey Graham has, has made the cut as well, uh, you know, and says whether Graham can make a team player of the bitter ex-president largely depends on who else Trump is in contact with and how often. He still speaks weekly with his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and continues to seek counsel from a host of former aides and political confidants whose appetites for revenge and disdain for the political establishment mirror his own. Recently, Trump hosted former Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi, an ex-campaign advisor, uh, as well as Corey Lewandowski and Dave Bossy for dinner, all of whom remain influential in uh, sorry influential fixtures within the MAGA movement so you know if and the article goes on if you're Trump you don't gotta play nice with these people anymore you don't have to do the whole fake political thing where you pretend where you pretend to like people you don't actually like said a person close to the president suggesting that Trump is unlikely to seek feedback from Republicans who disagree with his approach. Some rank-and-file Republicans have encouraged the party's leaders to tread carefully as they attempt to distance the party from Trump while he remains exceedingly popular among GOP voters. A Politico morning consult poll conducted after Trump's acquittal in the Senate found that nearly 6 in 10 Republican voters want him to maintain a powerful role in the party moving forward. A Republican Party, and this is a, uh, a quote, a Republican Party that seeks to erase President Trump and fails to understand his appeal to working class voters is destined to lose elections in 2022, 2024, and beyond, Representative Jim Banks, Republican of Indiana, chair of the conservative Republican Study Committee, uh, tweeted last Wednesday. 
So far, Trump's backing has gone to two of his most loyal allies, Arizona Republican Party Chair Kelly Ward, who received a recorded endorsement for her reelection bid, and former White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a candidate for Arkansas's governor, who was given a glowing stamp of approval in his uh, Save America PAC information. Since then, he has used the political arm to bash McConnell, share a polling memo touting his popularity, and provide a readout of his recent meeting with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. So, you know, he he's clearly starting to flex his political muscle, and many in the Republican Party, particularly in the leadership in the Republican Party, uh, actually are are in somewhat of a you know mode of concern about exactly what the Trump effect is going to be. So we shall see how this plays out. Uh, I think from a political standpoint, this is going to be most interesting. Uh, as I said, we're going to be watching to see how this fracture in the Republican Party proceeds. Uh, we're also going to be looking very carefully on how the Democrats play uh, in, this, uh, in this battle zone. Uh, whether you know they are going to you know uh, abandon their efforts at uh, bipartisanship and try and get their agenda done on their own while they have the majority, or if they are going to continue their outreach to uh, Republicans, particularly those that were somewhat disaffected of Trump, and see if they can you know achieve their agenda through that way. So, you know, in the meantime, Trump is smiling and he's out and he's playing golf with his friends like, you know, and uh, accordingly, uh, Trump was spotted on his golf course uh, last Wednesday with Kid Rock, uh, a noted conservative supporter of his. So it's going to be interesting times. Um, you know, it, it, it's clear that former President Donald Trump is going to be a power player in the political uh, situations through the midterms and to the general and perhaps beyond uh, for the for the future uh, we'll see how that shakes out that's going to do it for this week's show uh, please make sure that you're staying safe that you're wearing your masks that you're staying socially distant and that you're practicing the hygiene as recommended by the medical uh, experts and the scientists I will look forward to uh, hearing from you. If you want to send comments to the show, let me know what you think about you know, Donald Trump as power broker. Send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com uh, and look to our Facebook page, also Fired Up Radio, and that's on facebook.com. And we'll keep you informed as to what's going on. And until then, please stay safe. Uh, your folks down in Texas, uh, it's improving down there. We, we wish you all the best. And I look forward to speaking to all of you again in seven days. If you hear this message, wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation. Can't afford to wait The future started yesterday And we're already